Hello and welcome to season 2 of the Books of the Boardroom podcast. This is a podcast where we talk to inspiring professionals such as CEOs and CFOs about the journey they went on to become the leaders they are today. We will discuss the challenges they faced, the pivotal experiences that shaped their growth and what it takes to become a true leader. My name is Sumit Desanayaka. I'm the managing director of Briska and I'll be your co-host. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Briska. Briska helps medium to large Australian companies comfortably meet their financial obligations in a cost-effective manner by providing them with a fully trained outsourced finance staff. Thanks for listening. Today I'm privileged to have a conversation with a successful female CEO in Brisbane, Joanne Jessup, Chief Executive Officer of Multicap. Joanne, thanks for joining us with Books to the Boardroom. Thanks so much for having me. Perfect. Right. I'm really really interested to explore your leadership journey. I know from my note that you had a really challenging and very different leadership journey. So before we get into the details, let's just start with your current role at uh, Multicap. So what do you do there? So what's your current role? So my current role at Multicap is I'm the Chief Executive Officer for that organisation and Multicap's an organisation that supports people with disability and particularly those people with high needs disability. And we also have a business Open Minds that supports people with mental health issues. Right. So it's pretty similar but different. Yeah, very different groups of people actually and, and different service needs and different support needs. So Open Minds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Multicap now, but it has its own identity, own brand, own values and own kind of purpose and support services. Yeah, I heard that you acquired Open Mind last year. We did, yes. So we have a belief that not-for-profits are really important in our community and the current environment makes it really tricky for them to be successful. And so the better success and the better outcome for customers and clients was for the two organisations to join together so we could leverage the back end, deliver more services and more supports to more people. So it's been a very successful integration, sure. not without some challenges. That's what I was going to say. Like, you know, I'm sure you get the synergies out of that, but at the same time you get some additional challenges as well. So what were the additional challenges in aligning the two organisations? I think one of the first things that always comes to mind is is about values alignment and kind of structure and purpose. So you can have the same purpose across your organisation and you think the values are the same, but there's always slight idiosyncrasies yes. in the way that values play out in how people support each other and how they work. So there was, there's been a couple of kind of, not hiccups, but just interesting things that have happened over the kind of, we're probably nine months into the integration now, where you kind of go, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't really expect that to happen like that. <laughs> and then you can kind of regroup and work out how you landed there and how you might navigate to the next stage to make it successful. But we bought Open Minds had probably 600 staff right. and we already had kind of, you know, 1700 staff. So that's a big staff integration. Sometimes we get the language wrong yeah. because the language for people with mental health services is different from the language with people with intellectual disability and the supports that they need. So there's all sorts of kind of little things like that. Yeah, yeah, true. That's right. I mean, it's a business. It's a supporting the people by the end of the day, but they're supporting two different type of uh, group, right? You can't clearly take this strategy and then put it on the other or take it from there and put it on here. Yeah, that's exactly right. So <laughs> people with mental health issues, that's a recovery-based model. And so the whole thing is to get people back to being well and back into the community and not needing support. Whereas intellectual disability, primarily those are disabilities that last for life. 
it's still about independence but it's yes. quite a different model of support so you, different training different kind of attitude different physical environments even that you need to support people so it's been really interesting journey but amazing <laughs> amazing outcome i'm sure it is and and you've been with multiclap for 16 years yes yeah, so you have to say that really fast it <laughs> sounds like i've been there a really long time but i have had the enormous privilege of being the ceo for 16 years yeah ceo for 16 years but i'm sure the title is the same but the challenges were different absolutely the organization's really different now to what it was when i started in 2006 so you know we had a turnover then of maybe 9 million dollars and we're probably around 160 million at the moment so wow enormous growth and change but actually the best thing is the delivery of services to people that need it in our communities that's the bit that keeps me going back every day wow less that's a tremendous achievement and a significant change in the business right from 9 million to 160 million it is <laughs> wow how did you do that Uh, I didn't do it. Our staff did it. And our board set the direction and we I guess are lucky to be able to deliver on that, but it all comes back to sole purpose. That's the key thing about success in organizations. I think is that you're really clear about what you want to achieve, what your purpose is or who you are in service of, and as long as you stay focused on that, and you have to be a bit courageous and you have to be a bit curious. Yes. And you have to be very passionate. So those are my two my three favorite words actually already in the conversation in the first 5 minutes. Yeah, for sure. And love to explore more like you know what you said you have to be curious. Where did that come from? So I'm a middle child, so I suspect that curiosity probably comes from very early on with an older sister and a younger sister, but I have always been curious. So I've been curious about how things work, how things are made up. why things happen how they do you know I'm probably a really good example I think I gave someone a while ago is when I was young I took the toaster apart at home because I was really curious about how it worked and if I could put it back together actually conveniently I <laughs> could but I suspect it's yeah my parents probably rolled their eyes a little bit but so I've always been cu- curious about stuff and and I think that drives me to explore things and sometimes work on the edge of what I'm comfortable in because the curiosity overcomes my natural fear maybe for new challenges or new things I think it's one of the good attributes for the leaders as well right It's like in today's world so you need that curiosity and you need to look forward to the next thing and then keep up with that instead of being compromised or satisfied with what it is today So you would see how we can improve or how you can do it yeah. better. Yeah, curiosity drives change. And also I think at, at, in your leadership role, make sure that you don't just assume things are happening and take things for granted. Like if you're curious, it's kind of like you have to swim along the top of the water and you have to be curious enough to know when you need to dive down and have a look yes. and see what's actually going on rather than just believing what somebody tells you or Yeah. So I uh-huh. think that that attribute is really good for a, a successful leader at any level in an organization actually. Yeah, no, I can relate to that very easily as well. Sometimes we have to deep dive. And we can't just take the message from someone and make decisions based on that. Yeah. And yeah, so if you don't have the full understanding, so you might not be making the right decision. Yeah, so I try and teach our staff and our senior leaders to be a curious but also to triangulate their information. Like don't just take what one person tells you, but go and see if you can validate that somewhere else and then you find out sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. That's Or sometimes you get a completely different frame of the issue that you thought was being presented to you. Yeah. I'm sure especially when you uh, merge with another company or acquire, so you can't just rely on one piece of information. 
because there are is a reason why they have done it that way instead of you know you just to say that is wrong or right yeah that's right and you know one of the things we describe i'm quite visual in how i describe what happens in at the workplace but at the moment we talk about lifting up the rocks so as part of the merger and acquisition you just have to keep lifting every rock and see what's underneath it and sometimes it will be great and every now and then it's a surprise that you need to kind of sort out or fix yeah so when it comes to change you're not only changing the processes right so you have changed your career too I have changed my career. I talk about having had two careers, actually, but I suspect it's the same career. It's just evolved. But yes, I did the first 20 years of my working life in pharmacy and healthcare Mm. in all sorts of places around the world, actually. And then I talk about my second career, which is in disability. Right, so 20 years in pharmacy and you are a qualified pharmacist. I'm, so I'm still registered in New Zealand. Um, right. I would not be safe in a pharmacy, if I'm really honest, yep. but I still hold on to the registration because there's something about that first qualification that you get that for yeah, me it just seems too hard to give up. So I keep paying the money, but I don't practice as a pharmacist. No, I can relate to that. I still do the same thing in my CA membership in Sri Lanka. I keep paying that because that was the hard-earned qualification for me. And I don't want to let go. Yeah, so I just need you to tell my husband that because <laughs> right. every year when the money comes up, he goes, why are you still paying yeah. that, Joe? <laughs> yeah. No, that's right. I, I understand that because it's too hard because you worked really hard to get that, right? So yeah. you can't just let it go, not paying a membership fee and then next, next year not a member. Yeah, but that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. how it feels. So yeah. from pharmacy to healthcare, um, more disability Yeah, so in pharmacy, so I did my pharmacy in New Zealand. My country of origin is New Zealand. And then after I'd worked for a couple of years, decided that there probably was more to the world than what I was seeing where I was working. So I decided I would go on an adventure. Perfect. So I bought a (coughs) one-way ticket to India. Right. And I actually went to work in a little mission hospital in Lucknow in India. So... Lucknow at that stage, famous for the British Raj siege yes. in 18-whatever-it-was. Don't quote me on the year. But it was, a, it was a town that had about a population of a million people, of which four people were white, and I was one of them. <laughs> and the other, two of the other three people were doctors from WA, actually. Yeah. So I worked in this little mental health mission hospital for what was meant to be a year but turned out to be three months because the local authorities decided they didn't want white people in the town anymore so they kicked us out right so then i went to london and got a job in in london and worked in a pharmacy and a hospital over there so what made you to go to india in the first place was it for a new challenge or new learn a new culture what was the motivation behind i have always had a really strong belief about um social justice and human rights and it was I think, well, I know it was part of that exploring and being curious about, you know, I was brought up in a fairly affluent country, New Zealand and Australia at that time. Not really a lot of poverty around. You know, there is, but not as obvious. So it was really about this kind of exploring the world and going, well, I've got this skill and I've got this expertise and can I kind of amplify its use somewhere else? And that's really what drove me to have that adventure. Right. So when you landed in India, how did you feel? It was really confronting, to be quite honest. Very confronting. Like, I didn't speak the language. I love Indian food, but Indian food in India is not like Indian (laughs) food that I had when I grew up. So, and yeah, but but it was fascinating as well. Like, I learned how to wear a sari. I discovered, I guess, the inverse discrimination 
that you know now really drives some of the work that I drive in culture across the organisation to make sure that people really feel included. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah I'm sure you get some some kind of a skill from there or a cross perception of the life. Yeah, yeah. And and recycling was amazing because at that stage everyone just put their stuff, all their stuff, on the street. And then the men collected the metal and somebody else collected the plastic and somebody else collected the paper and the paper turned into the container that you got your nuts or your seeds from the markets from. Like, absolutely extraordinary. And, you yeah. know, the animals ate the food. Like, recycling, 100% perfect. Yeah, they consume very little. Huh. It's true. Yeah, no, I understand. I yeah. can relate to that as well, like, to a degree. Not to that degree, but to a degree. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I loved India. I'd go back. The Taj Mahal was one of the most beautiful buildings I have ever seen in my life, right? A- ever seen. Yeah, Absolutely for sure. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So then you went to London. So then I went to London and got a job in Kingston Hospital. And then I moved to, actually, a private clinic, which was a cardiac clinic in Harley Street, And that was a really good job because at that stage I was really interested in travel, like exploring yeah, the yeah. world. So, But the Harley Street team obviously enjoyed working with me so much that even though I was a temp, every time I'd want to go on holiday, they'd get another temp to cover me so I could come back oh. after I came back from holiday. So it was really good arrangement. So they kept it for you. Yeah, it was brilliant. But, you know, that hospital, they did cardiac surgery and bypass surgery on babies and like... So I have seen and, and been in the theatre with the most amazing surgeons doing some of that really specialised cardiac surgery on tiny yes. little babies with bypasses and stuff. So that yeah. was really, really informative, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it is a very different experience. It was, it was good. It was and early on, you know, when you are young as well. Yeah. You get things very different when you are young to now. So yeah, that's true. I understand the people's character change, what you have seen at early stage of your life. Yeah, I think I think your experience informs how you see things and how you frame things. Yeah. So the more experience and broader experience people have, I think the better they are able to kind of manage the narrative and think about, well, that's what it looks like, but actually what else could it be? And, you know, what's another version of that? And I think that helps people be better better leaders of people in particular. Sure. Yeah. And I know you have traveled extensively and how important travel is for someone to shape their leadership or the career, how important it is? For me, it's really important. I'm unsure if that's the same for everybody, but for me, it informs how I see the world and then how I can apply what I've seen back into the workplace. So, you know, I did, I think I um, shared this with you earlier. I did six months through Africa on the back of a truck. Now, that cost me 900 pounds, like absolute bargain. But, yeah. you know, the most amazing experiences through that about I'll never go to a zoo again and see animals the same. Yeah, that's So you true. think about freedom, and you think about how that frames things, you think about the longevity of those species, and then you apply that back into the workplace about, well, how do you create freedom for your staff? How do you allow them to be in their kind of own domain so that they perform the best that they can. So there's all sorts of lessons in life from where yeah. you go and what you do. I but never heard that analogy on this podcast before, but I love that. Yes, of course. That gives you a very different perception yeah. that you can bring it in and see how you can create that with a controlled environment to a degree. Yeah, so Africa was, again, you know, it was quite like India. Absolutely extraordinary, different country. We slept outside in the Sahara Desert under the stars. Absolutely no wow. sound 
That was pre-smartphones. Can I just point that out? So that might age me slightly. (laughs) And so, you know, for my parents at that stage, there were four mail drops over that six months. And that was the only way that they could correspond with me. And I think now, like I've got a son, I think I'm unsure that I would cope with that very well. But, you know, for them, they, I guess, had no choice because I was a bit kind of adventurous as well. I can relate to my from my perspective as well. I remember when we go to school or when we do anything after school or whatever, until we come home, so parents had no clue when we are going to be back, right? But right now, now what we do, like in the moment there's like one minute delays, you get them on the phone and find out. Yeah, well, you've got to find <laughs> yeah. my iPhone so you actually know where they are even if they don't tell you exactly. where they are. Yeah, exactly. Quite so different. Quite yeah. different, isn't it? Yeah, I understand. But I, I feel like I was free enough and I was given a, me an opportunity to make decisions as well sometimes when the bus is not there what you're going to do if there's a breakdown or something like that how you're going to do whether you're going to walk or whether you're going to wait for the next bus or anything like yeah. that it's a decision point that you had to make and I, I think <laughs> travel does that because you have to make decisions in the moment they're unexpected yes you don't normally know where you are sometimes the language is a barrier and you don't always have all the facts So, you know, if you think about that applying back to leadership, you know, as senior leaders, you know, kind of you should be doing the 50-50 decisions where you've got 50% of the information and not the other 50%. And you should be encouraging your staff. If it's an 80-20 decision, they should be enabled and empowered to make those decisions. They might get them wrong sometimes, but it's all about that kind of, yeah, input of information and then kind of framing what you might do. Yeah, I'm sure. So with that kind of conversation, do you think leadership's, for the future, like the people who are coming out in this new era. Is it going to be different to the leadership now? Or I think leadership's mostly about people. And I think it might be harder for our future leaders, if I'm really honest, because the people skills are harder to practice because of the environments that we've created and the workplaces. You know, we're into automating process. We're into everything's done on a computer. You know, I've got staff at work at the moment who... They will teams each other and they sit like five desks away from each other. And I kind of go, why wouldn't you just go into one of the meeting rooms and talk to the other person? But they don't. So, yeah, I think leadership will be different, but I think it it will be harder, if I'm honest. I'm thinking the same way. Even in our business, we can do it easily, work from home arrangement, but I only do it when there's an emergency. Because I feel that uh, depri- you know, if you do that way, so there's no opportunity for some some of the staff to practice their leadership, because there's no one to practice, right? So you are only digitally, so you can't do anything other than that digital conversation. Yeah, that's right. And if you think about most of the kind of staff engagement surveys, one of the questions is, you know, have you seen your leader? Has your leader had a conversation with you, a one-on-one conversation? And it's not the same over a screen. You don't get all the other cues. Yeah. You know, you don't get the body language. Is exactly. the person kind of moving yeah. around? Are they shuffling? Yeah. Do they look half asleep? You know, you don't get any of that yeah. by doing it on that's the right. screen. And you have to be very formal as well, book a time slot, and then you go in and then get out, but you know, there's no informality yeah. where you no form that connect. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Okay, I feel the same way. You're right. So I don't know whether I'm going to be archaic, and <laughs> actually the new world will be quite different. It'd be quite interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, we only can judge it now. It could be this way, or we think that's going to deteriorate based on the facts that we can see. But it could be a very different world that may, they may be living in. That that they might not need that type of leaderships anyway. Like people are more independent, and they don't want any want to sort of you know push them out of the boundary. 
Yeah, the balance of that, I think, around leadership is that people don't have the opportunity to learn and make mistakes because, you know, our young graduates seem to come out thinking they know how to do everything. Yes. And that's a little bit of a challenge as well because then they get the kind of, yeah, the hard knocks of actually this is what a workplace is really like. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that's true. Sometimes I find that the questions they ask are really challenging for us as well. Because sometimes we follow what we have seen or anything like without even putting second thought, like why we do what we do. But they sometimes question that. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And actually, in a conversation with some of our leaders recently, I was saying to them, don't always go back to your favorite response. Like challenge yourself to think about, well, actually, are there different ways that you could deal with this or manage this or respond other than your favorite? And I'm probably the worst at resorting to my favorite responses <laughs> that's normal <laughs> right so i think on the same um, topic the covid is this new era where we were pushed into this remote working and you know have different leadership style i know for a fact that your business has really big challenges during the covid yeah so covid was really interesting and and probably I would say one of the most challenging parts of my career in either career pharmacy or my current career in disability. And I guess at the start of COVID, we got the executive team together and had a conversation about what was really important. And we came up with three things. One, that we needed to keep delivering on our sole purpose. And actually that, that's that the quality of life of people with disabilities enhanced by our support which meant that we couldn't stop services because those people rely on us for having yeah. you know, core supports and services. The second thing we said is that we needed to keep our staff and customers as safe as possible. And the third thing we said, and you'll remember what it was like in that kind of March, April, we said we are gonna keep as many people employed yes. as possible. And those really were our key drivers probably, well, and have been for the last two years. So we did not, no one in our organization lost their job at all so we're really proud of that things like keeping our staff and customers safe there was no ppe for that first you know six months in australia for organizations like ours it went to government and hospitals so we actually imported our own we've never done that in our lives before but we imported a container load of ppe from overseas and we distributed it to not only our organization but other colleague organizations around the country so that was pretty innovative. It and is, yeah. Yeah. So, and we learned a whole lot of stuff about importing, importing and, yeah. Yeah, and distribution. But we had a warehouse set up because we have an employment business. So that was quite easy to do that. But, but yeah, so those three things really at the start of COVID. But we've had staff having to wear masks, having to wear P- full PPE. We kept everyone coming to work. We gave them the choice. And we're fortunate enough to have a big enough workplace that we could manage the social distancing. And because we have an older style workplace in some of our places, we've got real windows that open. So we could get the airflow and that kind of thing for people. And then the shutdowns, the opens, all that kind of stuff that we had to navigate, we had, you know, probably three times a week, our executive team met to make decisions with half the information about what was happening to keep everybody safe and then we just thought we got over it and then Omicron arrived yeah so that was the kind of final wave and I you know through that period we probably had 15% of our frontline workforce off work because they were either COVID positive themselves or they were a close, close contact, contact of that so that was enormously challenging for the teams to and we had staff 
from all levels of leadership and management really step up and move to the front line and make sure that customers were supported and safe. We had this whole plan in place, which one of the last steps was the executive and senior leadership team got out into the services. We never quite got there, (laughs) but we could have and we had it on the plan. Right. That's that's a good plan. Yeah. And we mandated vaccination. So, you know, that was challenging for our workforce, but we've got 100% of our workforce vaccinated now. Right. Yeah. So, and that keeps our customers safe. So, but yeah, I, an enormously challenging and exhausting couple of years, I think. That's well, for I know. Sure. Yeah. I think, especially the industry like yours, it's like you can't do a lot of work remotely. So, you need people to go. That's right. Yeah. Our staff need to, you yeah. know, our frontline staff, they had no choice. They can't work from home because their job is supporting people with disability or people with mental health issues. So, they have to be out and about. And it's going to be even challenging when, you know, mental health kind of thing. So it aggravates when the microeconomy is like this. So you might have extra challenges than what you normally expect from them, isn't it? Yeah. So if you think about the lockdowns that, you know, Queensland had, our customers with intellectual disability and many of our customers with mental health issues, they don't understand that they can't go out. And you can't really logically explain to them that they can't go out. So, or why their local favourite cafe that they go to every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock isn't open. So there was an enormous amount of innovation and, and support that the staff did. You know, one of our staff groups set up a cafe in the backyard of one of the houses for a gentleman so that he could keep his routine. Wow. So that he could stay stable. And so they just invented this cafe and they went to the cafe, but the cafe was just in the backyard, not the real cafe down the road because it was closed. Oh, wow. So they were very, yeah, really innovative and really proud of what they did. Yeah, yeah I'm sure it is. Ex- I mean, you would have seen this pandemic from a very different lens to, you know, what the general public has seen, right? So because you've been supporting that many people and they're with the disabilities as well, and there's, you can't push them too hard. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the, you know, the public policy decisions were really tough for our customers, like the one about visitors. So, you know, mm. no visitors in hospitals, well, that means our, our staff couldn't go in to support our customers when they needed to go to hospital, but also no visitors at home for the, where we support people in a house. So family members couldn't visit their family member with a disability because they weren't allowed to visit. And, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of fundamental rights right that family is important so there were some tough challenges around that yeah so while you're talking about these things i wanted to explore more the emotional intelligence eq you know surface and a lot of people talk about it right but i'm sure you have practiced it and you and your team they had to practice that or they have we've been practicing that for a while yeah look yeah i I think being emotionally intelligent or or understanding what's going on other than just the words or the facts in front of you I think that's critically important it's probably always been important you know it's got a lovely label at the moment yeah but I think those attributes of of humanity and empathy and being able to listen and really being able to kind of put yourself in the other person's shoes but also to be able to challenge them and pick up the cues in the room not just the verbal ones but actually you know what's going on, the dynamics that are playing out. Those are skills that really make good leaders. You need to be, it comes back, to, you've got to be curious, right? Yeah, yeah. that's always yeah. the case. And, and you've got to have courage because yes. the bit about EQ or being good leadership is you've got to have the courage to call stuff if you see it. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's right. So you d- if you don't have the courage, I mean, one is like to make the decision and then to stay on the decision. Like most of people make the decisions and then they, you know, reverse it because they can't stay on. They don't have the courage to wait till you see the outcome. You, you shouldn't have made that decision if you can't stay on it and you don't know exactly what it's going to make, right, at, at the end. So I have seen some leaders in my career as well. They made the decision and then they can't hold on to that because they made the deci- the original decision without having a p- proper vision or a proper plan. Yeah. They don't know what the outcome they were expecting by making that decision. Yeah, and for us, you know, we and I have driven across the organization this alignment with purpose. So, you know, what we teach all the staff is you only need to know one thing about the organization, what our core purpose is. And if you can't remember the policy or the procedure or the work instruction, think about is what you're doing improving that person's life? Right, and if the answer is yes, then you are most likely aligned with every single Everything, policy and yeah, procedure true. that that we have in place. If the answer is no, then you need to stop and go. Why are you doing that? So that's that kind of simplicity and just sticking to purpose. Yeah, I love what you said. Like you know, instead of going through the checklist and make sure that you tick all the boxes, so understand what the real purpose is, so that you don't need that checklist, right? Yeah. So you put the checklist because we feel people forget. And they don't know the real purpose what they are in, but if you really know what the purpose is, and if you can make majority of our staff understand the real purpose, you don't need these checklists. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I think De Bono wrote a book called Simplicity, <laughs> which is about how to make things simple. And his whole context is that it's really, really hard to make things simple. And we see that in our organisation. You know, if we've got a problem or an issue, staff first response will let's write a new procedure or let's develop a form for that. And you have to go, hang on a minute, <laughs> stop. You know, what are we trying to solve here? We already got a solution somewhere else that we could modify, use, change. Yeah, but it's hard. You know, we went from probably five years ago, we had 137 policies across Multicap. We've now got 12. Oh, wow. We've got lots of procedures and work instructions, but we've got 12 policies and they're external facing policies that actually tell our customers and the community what it is that we say is important and think is important. So, but yeah, challenging to get there. That's a significant improvement for sure. Like, you know, so end of the day, if you make it more simple, then of course you understand the purpose better. Yeah. Right. No, I love that. Love that. So you've done a lot of things that I'm thinking of doing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's great. So one thing I want to definitely bring in here, uh, because you've been a, a woman CEO for a while and I'm sure you've got something that I'm, I, you can tell us. Uh, the gender equality. I would really love to hear your thoughts about gender equality, how it is evolving in Australia, for example. Is it going in the right direction? Because I asked this in the latest workplace gender equality agency report. They published it, I think released it last week or week before. And it says um, women who have uh, been chief executive role earn an average of 93,000 less than their male counterparts. Is that true? <laughs> I, I fully believe it's probably true, yeah. Right. Yeah. So th- gender equity is a really interesting concept and topic. And, mm. and all, like, if I reflect, I think it's a journey. And do I think it's great? No. But is it better than it was when I started in my career? Absolutely. Right. I do think that if you ask any female, they can tell you stories about things that have not been great 
around their move towards leadership or where they've been overlooked or pushed aside. I think everyone could tell you those stories. I don't think every male could tell you the same stories about their career journeys. So on that basis, it is inequitable. And I just think we have to keep, not fighting, that's the wrong word, we just have to keep bringing it to people's attention that that people are equal and if you're a good leader, you're a good leader and you should have that opportunity. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I believe in the same thing. Like, um, And it is very important to have that shared vision like, you know, men and women. So we can have a very balanced approach when you have, you know, the proper presence, right? Is that why you have like 50-50 in your management team? Is that a coincidence or is it a deliberate? Well, nothing I do is a coincidence. <laughs> um, no, I, I have an absolute... In fact, you know, the human services sector is, is primarily female dominated. So actually we have the reverse challenge right. but it is a kpi that we that i try and keep the balance across the senior leadership teams at 50 50 or as close to as we can i also have an internal kpi that everyone has to meet for the middle and senior <coughs> leadership roles where the shortlist has to be 50 50 right as, so uh, you need to pick the best person for the job and that's a key criteria you, you need the right capability and the best person but if you have an equal shortlist the chances of equality ending up in that role are much higher than if you don't have an equal shortlist. Yeah, no, that's that's for sure. And I, I, I love this concept as well. In my business, my other business partner is a you know woman, and we look at things very differently. And yeah, I agree. Which is yeah. good. Yeah. Which is great. Sometimes you know, and that that complements a lot. Then you know, creates more complex. So which works really well in our situation. And both yeah. accountants, but we have very different perceptions yeah, about yeah. things. And, and different, you know, you come at it from a different frame and that means that you make better decisions. You know, and, and the gender thing still surprises me occasionally because I think, sometimes I think we've come a really long way. And then recently I got invited to this kind of group, which I thought, yeah, that looks really good. I'll meet a whole lot of interesting people and they kind of get together relatively regularly. And I was the only female in that group. Right. And, and I kind of go, it's 2022. Yes. And, and this was a kind of senior leaders group. And I just went, isn't that an interesting observation? It is. And I myself, even in, uh, on this podcast, we were trying our best to get more female leaders to come in and, you know, talk about their story. It's successful to a degree, but I would say it was about 20%. Yeah. Still 80% yeah. were male who we interviewed. And... Uh, it's a bit of a challenge as well. I think one way the female leaders, sometimes they don't want to put themselves... Well, I was going to make that observation that we are like, well, I am not good at talking about myself, right? It makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> and I kind of, I think, oh, I'm going to open my mouth and everyone's going to be really bored and it won't be interesting. So you, my natural inclination is to kind of say no. But I don't see that in my male colleagues, so I think they are happier to talk about stuff and themselves than I am. And so I, I understand the challenge that you have because I think that's what happens. Yes, yeah. we, we try our best to reach out and then most of the time we get pushed back. Yeah. No, that's not for me. Probably Sometimes they keep pushing out and then and at some point they come in. But, you know, it's like one in ten might yeah, and, and honestly you know I'll, I'll be really honest because <laughs> i could have come up with today 10 excuses about why i wasn't coming 
like even till the last minute and i'm going <laughs> no you need to be courageous joe you said you'd do this that's true right? yeah, yeah no that's exactly right yeah so sometimes they pull out as well and mm-hmm. we understand especially women have they have different challenges as well you got your family you got other things on top of the job so we can't just stay on the job thing you got the other thing to balance as well we understand that yeah but there are i think statistically the stats don't lie there are more male senior leaders and more male ceos and more males on boards than there are females that's that's so true i've been exposed to this governance and all that kind of thing for a while and they were trying we are trying to bring in right but i don't think we are still there it's been a while and And I think that's the network thing at board level in particular it's boards are comfortable with people they know so they use their networks and if you've got a kind of majority male board the network of the the board members is majority male so it just happens I think I love that um, observation that it's it's, the board is mostly formed from the network isn't it (laughs) yeah I heard that and I've seen that as well yeah Right, now, so I have a great board. Can I just say that? Oh, I great. have an amazing yeah, board and yeah. they're a combination of males and females and, yeah, they're wonderful. Right. That's that's good to hear. And the other thing is, like, you know, the leaders, the, one of the biggest challenge or biggest uh, thing that they do is form a good team. So what do you normally look for when you are picking up a senior team player? That's a good question. My starting point is I try really hard to employ people who are smarter and cleverer than me. And, and I also, like, because I have this thing about capability in organisations and building an organisation's capability internally. So the second thing that I'll look for is someone who's not at the top end of their capability but actually at the bottom end of their capability so that, first of all, they're smarter than me and can do the job better than me and then they've got a whole lot of uplift in their capability in the organization and 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 then that kind of drives the change that you need and in multicaps journey over the 16 years we probably had four iterations of of what we needed in a leadership team because you employ someone at the low end of their capability they've probably got you know five years of contribution and then the way the organization grew then you start to realize that you need different people with different sets of skills and capabilities so you have to kind of morph and change and we've done that as I said three or four times over my time in the organization so sometimes that means that you've got amazing staff that you've just outgrown and so you need to help them understand that that the organization's moved past their ability to contribute not that they are the wrong people but you know you need different skill sets so you've got to change some people out on the way yes for sure and on the same thing, like you said you are employing people who are smarter than you, right? So then is there any, have you ever come across a situation where you failed a leadership cap? Because these people, because they, they can't go beyond because you need to keep up as well. How do you elevate yourself to letting these people... That, that, yeah, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? Like, and probably for those of us have, that have voices on our shoulder that tell us all the time that they're actually not very good at what they do, <laughs> that's somewhat challenging. Yeah. I, I don't, for me, it comes back, I think, again, to that being curious and, and the courage. Like, I am really clear about where the organisation needs to go. That's my job, to lead that. But it's not my job to work out how we get there. So that's the team effort. Right. So I spend a lot of time building the senior team 
and you know we meet every week I have one-on-ones with them every fortnight because if I can understand where they are and what they can contribute then collectively we make much better decisions so I don't have to be better than them I just have to be really clear about where we're going and then set some KPIs around my expectations and then normally stretch KPIs what frustrates me in in people in roles is if they are just doing the jobs like I'm not very good at mediocre probably one of my downsides so (laughs) if people just fill a seat or just do their role or just give the 95 percent I struggle with that and they probably don't last very long (laughs) working with me because I don't accept that as being reasonable I love that that you know you don't need to learn a lot but you need to be more clearer isn't it like you know more self-aware more more aware of where we need to go that makes a big difference yes but I do do you know I do do a lot of googling because you know we've got this whole big um, digital project at the moment you know business improvement and it's stuff that I haven't ever learned you know I've done an MBA and done stuff but it's kind of new stuff right so every time they talk to me there's all these words and language and concepts and then I have to go and Google what that actually means and then be able to frame it in my head into something that I can kind of understand so it's got some kind of context and then I can come back and go, okay, you're talking about, like we were talking about target operating models and organisational design and, okay, okay, I get what you're talking about. Now this is visually how I can see that and they go, oh, yeah, Joe, that's right. I go, okay, now I understand what you're trying to do Mm. so I can help you you know, navigate the organisation to get there. But I've got to get it. And it comes back to the toaster, right? You've got to take the toaster apart to understand how it works. And I'm very much like that with concepts and things that we do at work. Yeah, love what you said. A really interesting point. Yeah. And for me, come back to purpose. I have to know why. And then I have to know how it's going to help us deliver on our purpose. And if they can, if we can answer that collectively, then I can kind of get my head around sometimes what are very big amounts of money going into some of these projects. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand. Right, that's a great one, actually. Love what you said. Before we wrap up, I would really like to ask this question. So this is very important for our upcoming women leaders. Do you have any message that you want to tell them today on Books of the Boardroom podcast, what they should do or what part they should take or how courageous they should be or how curious they should be to become someone like you one day? What would I say to upcoming female leaders? Firstly, I would say get a mentor. Like I think success is about having some people that you can talk to that aren't your family and aren't your work colleagues. And, you know, if you want to be a successful female leader, you really need some good mentors. And I was very fortunate to have a group of people who I have had relationships with around kind of mentoring and, and, and supporting each other for 20 years and, you know, some really successful big organisations and leaders. So I've learned a lot from that. The other one that I would say, and it will sound flippant, but it's not, is that you should say yes until you have to say no. Right. Let the first response be yes, because you never know where that will end up. And I think most of my adventures and things that have the opportunities that I've had through my working career, because I've been courageous enough to say yes, even though inside I go, mm, I might not actually <laughs> even know what that is. You know, when I took the job at Multicap, my, um, the recruiter colleague of mine said, oh, you know, this is a really good job for you, Joe, Multicap. And I go, well, what's Multicap? And he said, oh, it's a disability organisation. And I went, I don't know anything about disability. And I could have easily said no. 
So I would encourage people just to say yes because you never know what opportunities and what doors open if you do that. Love what you said. Thank you very much for talking to me and share your inspirational journey with us on Books of the Boardroom. And for our listeners, if they want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way? Well, thank you firstly for the opportunity. It's actually been quite interesting reflecting on the things that I think are important. So I've appreciated that opportunity. If people go to the Multicap website, you'll find the information or contact details there. And I'm sure you can probably stalk me on LinkedIn as well. Right, yeah, that's the pop- these days most popular place, right? That's how we connect with you as well. It is, yes. So I, I will appear on LinkedIn and I'm sure people can work out better than me how to find me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thank you very much, Joe. Thank you very much for coming in and sharing your story with us. Thank you.